Yo, what is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to another episode here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, in today's episode, we are going to be recapping all of our NFL action from week 9 of the NFL season. And man, does it feel so weird because I talked a little bit about in the college football recap. It's crazy to think we're already through 10 weeks of college football and we're already through 9 weeks of NFL football. I mean, Where's time gone? Seriously, I mean, I still remember, you know, preseason, and now we're already through week nine, and we're going to be slowly approaching the playoffs here in about a month and a half. I mean, it is just, it's just weird thinking that we are almost through football season, and it it pains me to say, you know what I mean? I I absolutely love the sport. But anyway, guys, I don't want to keep rambling because we have so many great games to talk about. You know, the Eagles trying to remain undefeated against the Texans on Thursday night, and then there's so many more great games. So anyway, guys, before we do start talking about some NFL football, I do want to ask you all to please make sure that you do like, comment, share, rate, do whatever you can to make sure that we continue to – Just continue to spread the Cover 7 podcast, continue to inform people, keep people entertained, and most importantly, just continue to build a great community and make sure that, you know, all of us that love football, we're able to share one environment. So guys, thank y'all so much for all the support that y'all have shown here on the Cover 7 podcast, whether that is on Instagram, here on the podcast, or just throughout wherever. Thank you guys so much for all that you do. So now guys, like I always say, I don't want to waste y'all's time, mine either. So let's get right into today's episode and kick off our week nine slate of NFL football on Thursday night football down in Houston, which is funny because both of these teams, you know, their major league baseball teams were also playing in game five of the World Series. We had the Philadelphia Phillies and the Houston Astros playing, so it's kind of funny. But anyway, down at Reliance Stadium in Houston, we had the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles led by Jalen Hurts, who right now, in my opinion, is a pretty solid MVP candidate taking on Davis Mills and the Houston Texans. And well, to start this game off, The Houston Texans were looking pretty good offensively. Davis Mills really didn't miss a step whatsoever. He looked a lot better than he did last week against the Titans. He was actually able to throw the football. But the biggest story for the Texans had to have been the fact that their uh, rookie running back, Damian Pierce, he had a pretty solid day against this Philadelphia Eagles defense because, man, you know, I even said it in the preview, I didn't think, I mean, I knew he would have a solid day, but I didn't think he'd be able to explode as much as he did in this game. And the fact that he was able to just bust through, especially a lot of these gaps, you know, with Javon Hargrave, you know, the uh, Eagles, they also went out and got Robert Quinn. And just that whole stack defense, I mean, he had an absolutely amazing day. As on the day, Damian Pierce, the rookie out of Florida, he had 27 carries for 139 yards rushing. Didn't get a touchdown, but man, was he really, I mean, he had a bunch of like just grown man runs against that really strong defense. Davis Mills, despite starting the game really well, he struggled a little bit in the second half as he'd go 13 for 22, 154 yards passing with two touchdowns and two interceptions. And, you know, Houston's defense also didn't play that bad throughout the first half. I mean, they were able to really get to the quarterback as they would have four sacks on the day. Two of those would come from former Buffalo Bill and TCU alum. Just wanted to throw that in there a little bit, Jerry Hughes. So, overall, not a bad game by the Texans. I mean, considering that they were uh, they were do- they were underdogs in the spread by uh, 13 and a half. So a lot of people didn't expect them to really do much in this game, Mine, myself included. I thought that Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, and all these guys would just have a field day over them and you know they kind of did but at the same time a lot of credit to Houston they showed a lot of growth especially against that game last week in which Derrick Henry just ran the football religiously against them 
And, you know, Miles Sanders, the uh, running back for the Eagles, he kind of did the same in this game. Had 17 carries for 93 yards rushing and one touchdown. He also did have a Derrick Henry moment where he stiffed arm uh, Houston Texans, their third overall pick, Derrick Stingley, and just, I mean, stiffed armed him into oblivion. But outside of that, I got to give the uh, Houston Texans defense, a, a, you know, a little bit of credit. I mean, not their best game, but not a bad game by any means either. But Jalen Hurts, his first game playing back in his hometown down there in Houston, he balled out in this game going 21 for 27, 243 yards passing. And really just continues to strengthen his case for, you know, the league MVP. I mean, he's played so good. And then to help him out, his supporting cast, they also played really well. We talked a little bit about how Miles Sanders had a really good day. But Dallas Goddard, he would have an amazing day having eight receptions for 100 yards receiving and one touchdown. A.J. Brown, you know he had to get a touchdown reception as he'd have four care, or four receptions for 59 yards receiving and one touchdown. As overall, Philadelphia, their offense, it took them a little bit to get going. They really couldn't get much going in the first half, but definitely in the second half, they came out firing. As Philadelphia, they would survive against the Houston Texans and would remain undefeated 29-17 over the Houston Texans as the Eagles, they now improved to 8-0 on the year, and the Texans, they now fall to 1-6-1 on the year. And, you know... You know, I mean, as much as people are probably going to give the Texans a lot of crud in this game, you got to remember they still are developing. They still have a lot of young talent. I like Davis Mills. He showed a lot of decent arm strength and a lot of arm accuracy. I mean, we, you know, coming out of high school, five-star quarterback that went to Stanford, didn't even really play a lot of college football. You know, he has a lot of developing that needs to be done. The Texans really want him to be their guy, especially after they traded Deshaun Watson. So. Just there's a lot of really good key pieces for this offense, especially you got uh, John Mechie, who who hopefully you know if everything goes okay with him and his leukemia treatment, will be able to return next year. And then of course Damian Pierce, the running back out of Florida, who really didn't get utilized that much under Dan Mullen. So overall, a lot of really good pieces for Lovey Smith and the Texans. And I think it'll definitely be a few years, but hopefully they'll be able to finally get back into playoff contention. But for the Eagles. They're continuing to stay undefeated, and I mean, man, this offense is ridiculous when it gets going. Jalen Hurts, who right now is my case, is right now right now is my pick for MVP. Miles Sanders is looking really good, having a bounce back year, and then you can't forget their triple-headed monster with Dallas Goddard, A.J. Brown, and Devontae Smith. So, but yeah, the Eagles, they remain undefeated as they beat the Houston Texans on Thursday night football to kick off Week 9, 29-17, so... Anyway, guys, that'll be it for our uh, Thursday night slate of games. We only had one, but overall, it was actually a really entertaining game. I'm glad we didn't have another one of those, I hate to say it, snooze fest games, if you know what I mean, because, man, we had definitely had a few of those Thursday night football games to begin the year. You know, the Colts and Broncos. We had the, um, God, I'm trying to forget. I'm trying to remember what the other one. Oh, the Washington and uh, the Bears one. That one was the another game that I was kind of just like, oh my goodness, can we hurry this up? Because it just was not much going on. So it was good to finally see some offense. But anyway, guys, now let's get over to Sunday slate of games, which obviously is our main day of games. And to kick it all off for our noon slate of games, the first game that I do want to talk about is going to be Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers taking off against Marcus Mariota and the Atlanta Falcons. And, well, in this game, you know, the kind of the story for the Chargers offense was going to be they're really banged up. Justin Herbert didn't have his top two weapons at wide receiver in Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. So how would that kind of play a factor in this game considering 
you know, he's not going to really have that many people to throw the football to. Well, Josh Palmer, who's been kind of wide receiver three, wide receiver four for the Chargers, he would step up in this game as he would have eight receptions for 106 yards receiving and really would definitely help Justin Herbert. But overall, these past few weeks, Justin Herbert just does not look like himself. I mean, he just kind of looks like a shell of the guy that we got used to seeing during his rookie year and then last year. So, but, um, Anyway, in this game, Justin Herbert on the day would go 30 for 43, 245 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception on the day. And then for Marcus Mariota, you know, he finally had his escape blanket back on offense at Cordell Patterson, who actually had a pretty good game one coming off of an injury that kept him out for the past few games as Cordell Patterson on the day would have 13 carries for 44 yards uh, rushing and two touchdowns. Didn't really get too, too much going in the um receiving game like we've kind of gotten used to but definitely since it's his first game back not a bad stat line at all considering he also was able to give his fantasy owners two touchdowns as well but um on the day just really sloppy game by both sides it definitely seemed like it'd be another one of those games that the Chargers would somehow lose I mean their defense is absolutely decimated by you know injuries you know JC Jackson's out for the year Joey Bosa's on IR just a lot of key players are missing on that Chargers defense and well the Chargers they would finally be able to clutch up in the last final minutes of this game as Cameron Dicker aka Dicker the kicker would be able to kick the game-winning field goal for the Los Angeles Chargers as they would go on to beat the Falcons 20 to 17 as the Chargers they finally get back in the win column as they improved to five and three on the season and the Falcons they now fall to four and five and, you know, considering they're not at the top of the NFC South anymore because Tampa won. But, I mean, seriously, that NFC South is really up for grabs. I mean, I mean, heck, even the Panthers, realistically, they still have a chance if they're able to win a couple games. And a lot of other teams are, are going to be able to lose in that division. So, but anyway, the Chargers, despite a really sloppy game offensively, they were able to pull one out as they beat the Falcons 20-17. So, Anyway, guys, the next game that we're going to talk about on our new slate of games, we're going to be going out to the Windy City as we had Tua Tagovailoa, who continues to just simply impress with him and his literally dual-headed monster wide receiver duo with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, taking on Justin Fields and kind of this resurging Bears offense. And, well, in this game, offense was definitely the story of this game as Tua Tagovailoa, after coming off that scary concussion situation a few weeks back, had another amazing game going 21 for 30, 302 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day. I mean, he looked absolutely fantastic. And it helps, you know, when your number one wide receiver in Tyreek Hill also was able to put up a really solid game, seven receptions for 143 yards receiving and one touchdown. And then to make matters even better for Tua Tagovailoa, Jalen Waddle was also put up 85 receiving yards of his own and then a touchdown as well. So really good game for the Dolphins offensively. But also, we need to talk a little bit about what, what Justin Fields was able to do offensively because, man, not only did he throw the football pretty effectively, 17 for 28, 123 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions, he was also able to run the ball for almost 200 yards rushing as a quarterback. Yes, as a quarterback, as on the day, Justin Fields would have 15 carries for 178 yards rushing and then one touchdown to add on top of that. I think it was the first time a quarterback had rushed for that many yards since like early in the 1900s. I mean, Justin Fields had a historic game offensively. I mean, he really balled out. I mean, Darnell Mooney, who didn't have a horrible game, not the best stat line-wise, but definitely was there when uh, 
Justin Fields needed him, would have seven receptions for 43 yards receiving and one touchdown. And then Cole Komet, who had just scored his first touchdown since December of 2020 last week against the Dallas Cowboys, he would actually get two of his own touchdowns in this game as he'd have five receptions for 41 yards receiving and two touchdowns. But that Dolphins offense would just be too much for that uh, Chicago Bears defense that now does not have Roquan Smith, who got traded to the Ravens. They don't have Robert Quinn, who got traded to the, the, uh, the Eagles. But... I mean, man, this Miami offense is so good under Tua Tagovailoa. And a lot of credit needs to be given to their new head coach, Mike McDaniel, because he's looked really good as well, especially a lot of play calling. I know a lot of people have questioned, especially that Sunday night game against the Steelers a few weeks back. But overall, this Dolphins team, they're really starting to surge. As the Dolphins, they would go on to beat the Bears 35-32 to as the Dolphins. They now improved to 6-3 and on the year. And the Bears, they now fall to 3-6. and But the offense... It's starting to look a lot better. I mean, they're playing to the strong suit of what Justin Fields does really well, and that's read options and running the football. And, I mean, hey, I think the next few years are going to be pretty dang bright for the Chicago Bears. So, anyway, guys, the next game that we're going to get into, we have the Carolina Panthers, who are led now by P.J. Walker, taking on the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati. And, well, this wasn't the Joe Burrow show like I thought it would. This was the other Joe show, as Joe Mixon on the day would have five total touchdowns, four rushing, and one receiving. I mean, he just decimated this Panther defense, as on the day, Joe Mixon would have 22 carries for 153 yards rushing and four rushing touchdowns on the day. He also would have four receptions for 58 yards receiving and one touchdown. I mean, he was literally just... Joe Burrow's like, okay, here's the ball, Joe Mixon. Do what you need to do. And they knew that he'd pretty much lead him right into the end zone because, man, this was just a just dominant game by the Cincinnati Bengals as they would lead the Carolina Panthers at halftime 35-0. And, you know, for the Panthers, who we already know are rebuilding, you know, they traded away Christian McCaffrey. Surprisingly enough, they didn't trade Brian Burns or DJ Moore, in which they would have gotten three total first-round picks just off of those two players. You know, L.A., they off, the Rams, they offered two first-round picks for Brian Burns. And then the Packers, they offered a first-round pick for DJ Moore. But um, in this game, P.J. Walker, who's come in to replace Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield, looked horrendous. Three for ten, nine yards total passing and two interceptions on the day with no touchdowns. Baker Mayfield, he would come in in the second half and actually helped, you know, make the score not look as bad as it probably should have. 14 for 20, 155 yards passing with two touchdowns, zero interceptions. So not a bad game at all for Baker Mayfield. I mean, he did look pretty solid. Um, Deontay Foreman, who the past few games has had three-plus rushing touchdowns in each of his past few games, uh, only was held, to, or he only had 25 rushing yards on the day. So really good job by that Bengals uh defense to really hold and contain him and you know just I mean if you're a Panthers fan I'm pretty sure you're kind of just saying okay let's get out of 2022 I mean let's just go get a let's go get our quarterback in the draft let's get CJ Stroud or Bryce Young depending on if they fall to what pick whatever pick the Panthers will have so yeah I, I if you're a Panthers fan you already know the season's over with and definitely this game kind of helped put the cherry on top of that as the Bengals will go on to blow out the Carolina Panthers 42 to 21 is the Bengals. They now improved to five and four. In the Panthers, they now fall to two and seven on the year. So, anyway, guys, the next game that we do have, we're going to go up to Detroit as we have the Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, who are currently on a three-game losing skid, taking on Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions. And well, the story of this game is going to be how bad Aaron Rodgers was. I mean, you can blame it on play calling. You could do whatever you want, but Aaron Rodgers did not look like the you know, three-time MVP quarterback that all Packer fans expected this year, even despite not having Devontae Adams. 
as on the day, Aaron Rodgers would go 23 for 43, 291 yards passing with one touchdown and then three interceptions. One of those would be literally a rollout play on fourth and goal in which he was trying to get it to his left tackle, David Bakhtiari, but instead the Detroit Lions, their second overall pick in this past year's draft, Aiden Hutchinson would get his first career pick off of that throw. So this was just a struggle fest for the Green Bay Packers. And then to make matters worse, a lot of their key players would suffer injuries in this game. Rashawn Gary, who's their one of their best edge rushers, he would leave this game. And what a lot of people are saying is supposed to be a torn ACL. So that's definitely really something you hate to hear. Romeo Dobbs was in a boot. Aaron Jones, their lead back, who for some reason Mike LaFleur or Matt LaFleur just refuses to hand the ball off to him. He also would leave this game in a boot. So a lot of their key offensive players left this game injured, and it's just not looking good for Green Bay as they literally struggle to score any type of points. They would get one touchdown, but outside of that one touchdown to Allen Lazard, they just would not be able to do anything offensively against the Lions, who statistically have the worst defense in the whole entire league. Now, and then on the flip side for the Lions, I mean, they really were not that great on offense. They kind of capitalized on the fact that the Green Bay Packers offense just could not stay on the field. So that's why they would run the ball a ton with Jamal Williams in this game. As Jamal Williams, the former Green Bay Packer, he would have 24 carries in this game for 81 yards rushing. And just, I mean, they tired out this Packers defense. But the Packers defense deserves a lot of credit because despite being on the field as much as they were, they were able to contain the Lions to only 15 points. So overall, not a bad game for the Packers defense, but that offense... Man, they have got to figure something out because, you know, they tried to get DJ Moore. They couldn't. They could have gone out and got Chase Claypool, which I know a lot of people, especially Green Bay Packer fans, did not want him for some reason. But just overall, they've got to upgrade at the wide receiver position because Aaron Rodgers is one of those quarterbacks that's going to need a star wide receiver. You know, him and Devontae Adams are pretty much unstoppable. And I think both of them, they're missing each other a little bit because Devontae Adams, and we'll talk a little bit about that Jags game here in a bit. He had an amazing game. I mean, he had an amazing game today. I mean, put up 140-plus receiving yards of two touchdowns, but Derek Carr in the second half just looked horrible. And, you know, for Aaron Rodgers, he just doesn't have the weapons that he's so adapted to having. Randall Cobb's not in the game. Sammy Watkins is pretty much non-existent. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So, But the Packers, I think, honestly, their season's over with, and they just got to look towards the future because this season is kind of lost because the Minnesota Vikings, they pretty much already have the division wrapped up. You know, they beat Washington. We'll talk about that game a little bit later here too. But for Green Bay, you're probably just looking forward to seeing who you're going to be able to draft this year. I mean, there's not really a lot of pluses you can take so far out of this year. But anyway, the Detroit Lions, they would get the upset win over the Green Bay Packers. 15-9 as the Lions, they finally get back in the win column, their first win since week two as they now improve to two and six. And for the Packers, they now fall to three and six, and they might legitimately finish this year behind the Detroit Lions in the NFC North, which is just so weird to say, but we might actually have a potential situation where the Packers, they fall behind the Detroit Lions in the standings in the NFC North, so... But anyway, guys, the next game that we're going to talk about, we're going to stay up in the north as we had the Indianapolis Colts, who are now led by their new quarterback, Sam Ellinger, taking on Mac Jones and the New England Patriots. And the story of this game was not the Patriots' offense because their offense was not really that good. Ramondre Stevenson, he would have 60 rushing yards, which is not bad. Uh, Mac Jones actually didn't play horrifyingly bad, did not play good by any means, but did not play bad. 20 for 30, 147 yards passing with one touchdown. But the story of the game would be the fact that the New England Patriots defense, they balled out in this game, forcing nine sacks on Sam Ellinger. And also they would have a pick six by 
by Jonathan Jones, who's been with the Patriots for a while now. Kind of was overshadowed, overshadowed by J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore. But overall, this is one of the most like def defensively dominant games we've seen by the Patriots in a while. I mean, the Colts, they just could not get anything going on offense. You know, it didn't help either. They didn't have Jonathan Taylor, who's already off to a rocky start this year. I don't even think he's had a 100-plus rushing yard game so far. And to make matters worse, you have a quarterback who doesn't really have that much starting experience, only is making his second career start. I mean, he was great at Texas, but Sam Ellinger definitely struggled in this game. 15 for 29, 103 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. But to make matters even worse, the Colts, who strong suit has normally been their offensive line, just could not stop Matthew Judon and this pass rush of the uh, New England Patriots. As once again, like I said, Sam Ellinger, he would get sacked nine times in this game. If your quarterback's getting sacked nine times in a game, you nine times out of ten will not win that game. So, And that's exactly what happened is this pretty much sealed the deal on Frank Wright as he would actually get fired after this game on Monday as the New England Patriots. They would go on to blow out the Indianapolis Colts 26-3 as the Patriots. They get back in the win column and improve to 5-4. And, and for the Colts, you're kind of left scratching your head as they now fall to 3-5-1 on just why this season has been so just detrimentally bad. I mean, Shaq Leonard has not been able to stay healthy. Jonathan Taylor's not been able to stay healthy. Matt Ryan just was not the same Matt Ryan, the MVP-level quarterback that they were expecting when they traded from him from Atlanta. So it's kind of a similar similar situation to what the Panthers are going through. I mean, obviously the Colts have a lot more talent than the Panthers do, but definitely they're going to be looking forward to 2023 as they'll have a new head coach. Jeff Saturday, the former Pro Bowl center for the Colts, he's actually coming in as interim head coach for the rest of the year. So that'll be interesting to see. I mean, Definitely don't expect the Colts to win that much games the rest of the year, but definitely I know the Colts, they're definitely looking forward, kind of similar to a lot of NFL teams, to what 2023 will have in store for them. So anyway, guys, the next game that we're going to talk about, we're going to get over to the AFC East as we had the Buffalo Bills led by Josh Allen taking on the New York Jets. And well, in this game, we saw a little bit against the Green Bay Packers, Josh Allen having some turnover issues. I mean, the past two games, he's thrown four interceptions. And in this game, this might have been his worst offensive game so far this year. And then to make matters even worse for Josh Allen, he would actually leave this game with an injury. I think it was a shoulder injury, and it's on his throwing arm too. So for um, Buffalo Bills fans, something you definitely don't want to see out of your franchise quarterback. But on the day, Josh Allen, who just struggled to get things going, especially in the second half he would go 18 for 34 205 yards passing with zero touchdowns and two interceptions on the day and you know it really looked like the Jets they were going to give this, this this game away to the Buffalo Bills because the opening kickoff of this game the Jets kicker slipped and kicked the ball about maybe five yards 10 yards at most and it just looked like okay this is going to be one of those games where the Bills they're going to be able to run all over the New York Jets but the Jets defense they came up to the, you know, they came up to the occasion because Sauce Gardner played amazing, especially in coverage against Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis. I mean, Gabriel Davis had a ton of drops this game, which was something kind of is that's been uncharacteristic for him. Now, Stephon Diggs, who balled out in the first half, having five receptions for 93 yards receiving, didn't have anything going in the second half. I mean, he that would be his total, that'd be his final stat line. So. Good, I mean, good defensive adjustments by the New York Jets to kind of eliminate Stephon Diggs, who is Josh Allen's main offensive weapon. The run game really couldn't get anything going. Josh Allen would actually lead, lead the team in rushing yards and rushing touchdowns on the day as he would have 86 rushing yards for two rushing touchdowns. But outside of that, not a lot of offensive production by the Buffalo Bills. And, in the, and you know, in the second half, they'd be contained to only a field goal, which would be in the fourth quarter. 
as the New York Jets, you know, offensively were not extremely dominant. I'm not going to say they, they were the absolute best, but Michael Carter, who was supposed to be the backup to Brees Hall and then now to James Robinson, he's looking like he could potentially become the lead back as on the day Michael Carter would have 12 carries for 76 yards rushing and one touchdown and looked really, really good against this Buffalo Bills team. Zach Wilson, who by no means has played really good this year. He struggled a lot. I've been kind of questioning, is he the guy for the New York Jets? Should they look towards potentially going into the draft for a quarterback? And in this game, you know, he quit trying to play hero ball. He, tri he quit trying to make those passes that's going to end up on SportsCenter Top 10 or just get talked about everywhere on social media. He finally played to the strengths of his team as on the day Zach Wilson would go 18 for 25, 154 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions, which was really good to see after he threw three interceptions to the Patriots last week. So just good to see him not make those same mistakes as the New York Jets. They would get the upset win over the Buffalo Bills 20 to 17 as the Jets. They now improved to six and three in the Buffalo Bills. They now fall to six and two and are handed their second loss of the year. I mean, this Jets defense, I think, is sneakily becoming one of the better defenses in all the NFL. I mean, Sauce Gardner is going to literally become Darrell Revis 2.0. And just this team is so darn good. And I look forward definitely to seeing this Jets team in what potentially might be a playoff contending season. I mean, they're looking really good. I mean, they're pretty much neck and neck with the Bills for the top of the AFC East. So just something to kind of monitor there because both teams, they are playing really good football. But with Josh Allen potentially being out now with an injury, could the Jets finally get over the Bills and be number one in the AFC East? So, anyway, guys, the next game that I want to talk about, and another choke game by the Washington Commanders. And we'll talk about another team that just absolutely loves to choke, choke games for our final noon slate game. But anyway, back to Landover, Maryland, as we had Kirk Cousins and Kirk Swaggy Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings taking on the Washington Commanders, who are now led by their new quarterback, Taylor Heineke, who in this game didn't even really play horrifically bad. I mean, he struggled in the second half, but in the first half, Taylor Heineke looked really good. As at halftime, you know, the Minnesota Vikings, they would be beating the Washington Commanders 7-3. There was not a lot of scoring going on. You know, the first, first quarter, it did look like it would be a blowout game. I mean... Kirk Cousins was connecting with Justin Jefferson pretty much on everything, and especially after that first receiving touchdown that Justin, Justin Jefferson got, it looked like it'd be potentially a career day for Jay Jettis. But in the second half, we didn't get a lot of scoring going. Washington, they would actually put up a touchdown in the third quarter, which would be the only point scored in the third quarter. And then going into the fourth, the Vikings, they would really just start to get things going after Harrison Smith would intercept a ball from Taylor Heineke. And then pretty much just from that point on, the Vikings would, co would come back from a 17-7 deficit in the fourth quarter. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. As, t as Kirk Cousins on the day continues to just look really solid. Struggled a little bit early on, but looked really good in the second half. As on the day, Kirk Cousins, he would go 22 for 40, 265 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception on the day. And the biggest thing with Kirk Cousins and showed a lot of improvement was the fact that he was able to make the throws despite getting pressured. I mean... He got licked a couple times in this game. He would actually have to leave the game after he got delivered a blow right to his ribs. Nick Mullins would come in for him for a play. But overall, really solid day by Kirk Cousins in this offense. Dalvin Cook, who statistically did not have his best game but was really effective in the fourth quarter, would have 17 carries for 47 yards uh, rushing. And then he also had a touchdown, which would put the not Washington Commanders. It would put the Minnesota Vikings over the Washington Commanders. And then Justin Jefferson, who I talked about, who could potentially have had a career day didn't have his best career game, but definitely had a really good game, especially if you did have him in fantasy. 
as on the day Justin Jefferson would have seven receptions for 115 yards receiving and one touchdown. As a Minnesota Vikings, they would make the late fourth quarter comeback as they would kick the game-winning field goal and would beat the Washington Commanders 20-17 as the Vikings. They now remain with only one loss in which they suffered to the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 2. As the Vikings, they now improve to 7-1 in the Commanders. They now fall to 4-5 and five and are now at the bottom of the NFC East. I mean, honestly, I think going forward, Washington, they need to remain with Taylor Heineke. I mean, I know Carson Wentz, they traded for him from the Colts. He was supposed to be, you know, their bridge quarterback for the next few years. But the way Taylor Heineke's playing, the way the team kind of bonds around, around him and the effort that he brings to this team... I mean, how would you want to replace this guy right now? I mean, I know you lost this game. It was a close game. I mean, the defense of the uh, commanders played really well. I mean, if you're able to contain Dalvin Cook to less than 100 rushing yards in a game and, heck, even receiving yards in a game, that's pretty darn good. I mean, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat. I mean, they've got a lot of key pieces on the defensive line. And then when Chase Young comes back from after tearing his ACL about a year ago, I mean, this Washington Commander team is really good, but they're just a few pieces away, and the main piece that they are away from potentially being a playoff team is the fact that they cannot find a steady quarterback to play. So, But anyway, the Minnesota Vikings, they somehow get the W over the Washington Commanders as they come back in the fourth quarter from a 17-7 deficit as Kirk Cousins also in the jet back home was shirtless, wearing all of his chains, jewelry, everything he needed. I mean... Kirk Cousins is looking pretty excited right now with this Minnesota Vikings team, and I think they're really starting to bond around Kirk Cousins. And I don't know, the energy of this Vikings team is really good. I know these past few games have been really close ones, but, I mean, shoot. I mean, at the end of the day, they are winning games, so it can be as close as you want. You can complain all you want, but the Vikings, they do leave that stadium with the W. So, anyway, guys, our final game that we're going to talk about in our noon slate of games as we had Derek Carr and the Las Vegas Raiders who are coming off one of the most embarrassing offensive games that we've seen probably in recent memory, taking on Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars down in Jacksonville. Now, for me personally, I thought the Raiders should easily have won this game, and looking at how the first half went, it looked like, I mean, it easily looked like the Raiders, they would have had a chance to blow out the Jacksonville Jaguars as pretty much in the first half, the De- De- uh, Devontae Adams, who they acquired, the superstar wide receiver from the Green Bay Packers, he had 10 receptions for 146 yards receiving and two touchdowns pretty much all before halftime. I mean, he was tearing up that secondary of Jacksonville. Derek Carr was looking a little bit better too as well, but story's going to be they got away from Josh Jacobs, especially when the uh, pass game was not going as well as they wanted to. And in the second half, Derek Carr looked horrendous. I mean, he, he, I mean, it just, I don't, I mean, I, I really don't understand why they think Derek Carr is their guy. I know that everybody's going to say, oh, well, Derek Carr's pretty good when we win a game or this and that. But even when they win games, Derek Carr does not look like your franchise guy. And you could also blame that too a lot on Josh McDaniels, who they hired, the former OC of the New England Patriots, who if, I don't, I don't know if any of y'all remember, but about, eh, let's say about 14 years ago when he was the head coach of the Denver Broncos at the time, I mean, he was horrendous with Tim Tebow as his quarterback. So, just, I mean, I think, honestly, Josh McDaniels will probably not even last a year with this Raider team, Raiders team because the offense was so horrendous in the second half. And then on the flip side for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, 
looked pretty good this game. I mean, didn't make any mistakes, was consistent with his throws as he go 25 for 31, 235 yards passing with one touchdown, and didn't throw any interceptions. I mean, I've always been very high on Trevor Lawrence, and I don't put a lot of blame on him from last year because when you have Urban Meyer as your head coach, and after all the things that came out with Urban Meyer, you know, him getting fired pretty much almost midseason, I mean, and especially as a rookie quarterback and who was not able to develop as much as I think they wanted him to, it's going to hurt a lot of his, you know, development. And even into this year, with now he's got Doug Peterson as head coach, the former Eagles Super Bowl winning head coach. I mean, he's shown a lot of improvement. I know still fumbling the football is kind of his biggest thing. Sometimes throwing a little bit too many interceptions has kind of killed him a little bit. But in this game, he looked really good, especially in the second half. And then Travis... Uh, Travis Etienne Jr., you know, the former first-round pick out of Clemson, Trevor Lawrence's teammate at Clemson. He's going to be this he's going to be the future running back for the Jaguars for at least the next few years as Travis Etienne on the day would have 28 carries for 109 yards rushing and two touchdowns, yet another 100-plus rushing yard day for the talented back out of Clemson. And Christian Kirk, who I personally like a lot. I know he kind of killed the wide receiver market, if you want to say that, because now every wide receiver is getting paid almost upwards of $200 million because of his contract, which was a four-year 82 or four-year 72 million. Uh, and, you know, he's never meant to be the number one wide receiver option. I think the Jaguars knew that, and that's why they went out and got Calvin Ridley from the Falcons at the trade deadline, who is still going to be suspended for the rest of the year. But when he comes back and Christian Kirk's going to be able to slide over to the uh, number two position, this Jacksonville Jaguar offense is going to be stupidly good. I mean, if Trevor Lawrence is also able to have another full offseason, is able to develop a lot more under Doug Peterson and his offense, I mean, this Jacksonville Jaguar team is going to be really good. As a Jaguars, they are, they are able to come back after trailing 20-10 to 10 at halftime and are able to shut out the Las Vegas Raiders in the second half. As a Jaguars, they would go on to beat the Raiders 27-20 to 20 as the Raiders. They yet again choke another huge lead. And it's just, it's so concerning because, you know, they felt Derek Carr was the guy. They gave him a little bit of a contract extension. And now you're really like, okay, you know, we've tried for years and years and years. I mean, Derek Carr has been with the Raiders, I think, since 2015 now, which is obviously about seven years. So he's had plenty of time to become the guy for the Raiders. And I just don't think that going forward, he's not getting any younger. He's only going to become more expensive. I think if anything, towards the end of the year or right before the end of the year, you've got to yeah, you've got to figure out some type of way to potentially be able to get his replacement because right now the Raiders are two and six, which I don't think a lot of people realize. They're pretty much tied with the same record for the Carolina with the Carolina Panthers, who are currently a rebuilding team as well. And to make matters even worse, the Raiders defense shouldn't even be that bad. You have guys like Max Crosby, you've got Chandler Jones who you paid a ton to get in free agency. I, I mean, it's just there's just a lot of stuff that like makes my brain hurt trying to just think of why this Raider team is so bad this year. And I think a lot of that has to do with coaching. I think Josh McDaniels, who I already knew immediately, was not meant to be a head coach in the NFL. He's a great coordinator. He's done great things up there in New England when he's a coordinator. But he is not meant to be a head coach in the NFL. So, anyways, y'all, that'll wrap up our noon slate of games. So now let's get down to our late day slate of games. We only had two games for our late slate, so it's kind of weird just only having two. But the first game we're going to talk about as we had Geno Smith and the striving Seattle Seahawks going down to Glendale, Arizona to take on Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. And, well, Geno Smith, he once again did not skip a beat as in this game he'd go 26 for 34, 275 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception on the day. I mean, 
I mean, honestly, I think at this point, it's not really a fluke anymore because if you looked at through, you know, the first two to three games, you're probably like, okay, it's kind of like what Ryan Fitzpatrick could do when he was a starting quarterback of a team for the beginning of the year. You know, when he would be nicknamed Fitz Magic as through like the first three to four weeks, he would play absolutely amazing and then he would die off. Well, now we're through nine weeks of NFL football, and Geno Smith is still looking like an MVP-level quarterback, and he continued to show it in this game as well. And then Kenneth Walker, you know, the second-round pick out of Michigan State, who was a star running back last year for the Spartans, he continues to dominate, you know, had his best career game against the Chargers a few weeks ago, putting up over 170 rushing yards. And in this game, he has yet another 100-plus rushing yard day and also had two touchdowns as well as on the day Kenneth Walker would have 26 rushing yards, or not 26 rushing yards, 26 rushing attempts for 109 rushing yards and then two TDs as well. I mean, just a really good game, you know, rushing-wise. And then once again, back to, you know, the passing game, Noah Fant, who they traded, who they traded for in the uh, the blockbuster trade, you know, for Russell Wilson, who I think personally right now, I think the Seahawks absolutely fleeced, and I mean fleeced the Denver Broncos because Noah Fant in this game, he pretty much went off five receptions for 96 yards receiving. I mean, we'll just give him the 100 yards in this game because I mean he was really good. You know, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, both are really solid and. I mean, the Seattle Seahawks team, I mean, they are looking like true contenders in the NFC. And then, you know, over to the Arizona Cardinals, I just, oh, man, I think it's time to move on from Cliff Kingsbury. I, I really do because even in college, you know, being a TCU fan, so I was able to watch him year in, year out. It, there was nothing special about his Texas Tech teams. They might be 7-5 and five or 6-6 six and six at best. So I, it was kind of brain, it was kind of, you know, interesting. Why would the Cardinals want to get a head coach in college who – has not had any type of success, right? You know, Urban Meyer, very successful college football coach, won two national championships, you know, makes a lot of sense. You know, Nick Saban back when he was hired, you know, by the Miami Dolphins was a pretty solid college football college football head coach. So, but with Cliff Kingsbury, I think it's just time to move on if you're, if you're the Cardinals. I mean, you tried the experiment, you know, the air raid offense with Kyler Murray in which he played under, under Lincoln Riley when he was at uh, Oklahoma. So, just one of those things where you definitely there never there definitely needs to be a change to change the scenery for the coaching staff. But anyway, on the day Kyler Murray would go twenty five for thirty five, hundred and seventy five yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions, and the Arizona Cardinals offensive line continues to be a huge problem as Kyler Murray would get sacked five times in this game. It just overall would be able not to really have enough time to be able to get the football out. He would also lead the Cardinals in rushing yards as he would have sixty rushing yards on the day. And outside of that, I mean, it was just a complete struggle. Kyler Murray would also fumble the ball two times. He was able to recover once, but would also lose a fumble. And just, I mean, man, the Seattle defense, which I think deserves a ton of credit as well because, you know, a lot of people assume they would just be complete garbage this year. You know, especially, you know, they just, you know, Jamal Adams would be out for the rest of the year after that week one game against the Denver Broncos and just, this team just continues to dominate. They have so many young, great pieces. Tariq Woolen out of UTSA, who is literally the definition of a freak of nature, six foot four and runs a four two forty. I mean, that is just so rare to find. I mean, they got themselves an absolute steal. And then to make it even better, the former Jim Thorpe Award winner and Kobe Bryant, who fell all the way down to the fourth round in this past year's draft, he's looked pretty good for the Seahawks as well. As the Seattle Seahawks, they would dominate the Arizona Cardinals 31-21 to as the Seahawks, they remain on top of the NFC West. As the Seahawks, they improved to 6-3. And, and the Cardinals, 
they now drop to three and six and their struggles at home continue under Cliff Kingsbury. And I think it's going to be sooner rather than later before we do see Cliff Kingsbury get sent off from being the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, despite, you know, getting that huge contract extension in the offseason to remain the head coach. So Anyway, guys, the next game and the final game of our late slate of games that we did have, we had a rematch of the 2021 NFC Divisional Round as we had the Los Angeles Rams led by Matthew Stafford taking on Tampa Bay and Tom Brady. I almost said Tampa Bay because that was kind of the whole joke back when, you know, Tom Brady first went down to Tampa. But anyway, guys, in this game, there really there really wouldn't be that much offense. I mean, the kind of highlight in the first half would be Cooper Cup getting this long touchdown reception. But outside of that... I mean, both defenses were looking pretty solid. Tom Brady and that offense just continued to struggle, but it would really come down to the fourth quarter in which Tom Brady and the Bucks would get their final possession of the ball in the game, and Tom Brady would drive them all the way down the field, you know, connect with Scotty Miller to get them pretty much in field goal range, and then a defensive pass interference by the defense would give Tom Brady and the Bucks the ball on the one-yard line, and then Tom Brady would connect with Cade Otten, the rookie out of uh, – where was he? Out of Washington. I was trying to remember. I said Oregon, but the rookie out of uh, Washington to get the game-winning touchdown. And Tom Brady, I mean, he struggled a lot these past few weeks. And you could also, get, you know, you could also kind of, if you want, credit a lot of that due to the fact of a lot of his off-the-field issues, which we're not going to talk too much about. But outside of that, I think this was really good for Tom Brady and the momentum of this Bucks team because they've been looking for that key win. And it just seems like they've never really been able to get anything going. I mean, the biggest worry and probably concern if you are, uh, you know, Tampa Bay fan is the fact that the run game has pretty much been non-existent. And in this game, they only had 51 yards of rushing. Leonard Fournette, who's kind of their lead back, only had 19 yards rushing in this game. But Tom Brady, who would throw the football 58 times, he would go 36 for 58, 280 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. And a lot of those incompletions were due to the fact that some of the wide receivers just really could not catch the football. I mean, there were a lot, and I mean a lot of drops for the Bucks in this game. But once again, they were able to get things going on their final drive of the game. And then for the Rams, I mean, if you told me the Rams are going to be 3-5 and five after they just won a Super Bowl last year with most of the same pieces... I mean, they really, their two major guys that they lost were Andrew Whitworth and Vaughn Miller. I mean, honestly, and I, I really did not expect this team to completely just just fall the way that it did. I mean, they lost Austin, Bl- uh, Austin Blith to, I think he went up to Seattle or Carolina, one of those two teams, which is huge. He was their starting center last year, so... But in this game, Matthew Stafford in the offense just continues to struggle as Matthew Stafford will only go 13 for 27, 165 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. They tried to run the football a lot more. Cam Akers was back in this game after that whole trade situation. He didn't really get anything going. Only had three rushing yards on the day on five carries. Uh, Daryl Henderson, he would actually be the lead back in this game with 12 carries for 56 yards rushing. But, I mean, the offense just looked non-existent outside of Cooper Cup, who once again had another 100-yard receiving game, eight receptions for 127 yards receiving and one touchdown. But, I mean, man, something is not going on with this this Rams offense because Allen Robinson, who I just feel like Sean McVay refuses to throw the football to or Matthew Stafford really refuses to throw the football to, I mean, they – it's just I'm so baffled by how bad this team has been offensively. Now you can also say it's due to some lingering issue or you know deal that Matthew Stafford has currently. You know he had a shoulder injury and everything like that. But I mean in this game, 
it was just, I mean, oh my gosh, they just played horrible. But the Buccaneers defense, who had been struggling a little bit here the past few weeks, they definitely stepped things up, so they deserve a lot of credit too. Not just the Los Angeles Rams playing bad offense. As the Buccaneers, they would get their revenge from last year as they would beat the Rams 16-13 to as the Buccaneers. They now improved to 4-5 and and are on top of the NFC South. And then for the Rams, they fall to 3-5 and and are currently sitting, I think, second or third in the NFC West. So, I mean, man, just if you're a Rams fan, you're kind of left scratching your head. You know, what did we do wrong? I mean, we went and got Bobby Wagner. You know, we still we went, we went out we went out and got Aaron Donald, that huge contract extension that he won, you know, because he talked about retiring. We kept him around. We got Jalen Ramsey. You know, I just, it's just, I mean, if you're really a Rams fan right now, you're really left scratching your head because you still have Cooper Cup. I mean, he's still balling out. You got Allen Robinson who just, y'all refused the game plan around too, so I mean, I, I, it's, I, I mean, if y'all couldn't tell, I'm just baffled by how bad this Rams team has been this year. But anyway, guys, enough, enough, enough of me rambling about that game. Let's get down to Sunday night football down in Kansas City, Missouri, at Arrowhead Stadium, as we had Malik Willis and the Tennessee Titans taking on Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, Patrick Mahomes almost made history in this game, and not for touchdown passes or interceptions, rushing yards, or anything like that. Just the sheer amount of passing attempts that he had in this game because he was only two passing attempts off of 70 passing attempts in this game as Patrick Mahomes. He would go 43 for 68, 446 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception, which is kind of weird saying that he had 446 yards passing and only had one touchdown pass on the day, which just doesn't really seem, you know, like Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, he also led the team in rushing yards because outside of Patrick Mahomes, the only running back that had more rushing yards than Patrick Mahomes, or not Patrick, Patrick Mahomes, the lead running back who had the most yards in this game was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with five rushing yards on the day. Isaac, uh, Isaac Patchett, Patch, oh, I'm not even going to try it. I'm horrible when it comes to pronouncing. I mean, y'all know that better than anybody, whether it's on interviews or anything like that. I cannot pronounce names, but... I mean, Jarek McKinnon only had four rushing yards on the day. Michael Burton had zero. I mean, they just could not run the football outside of Patrick Mahomes as he would scramble a lot in this game and would have six carries for 63 yards rushing and one touchdown. And, you know, even receiving-wise, Travis Kelsey didn't have his best game. I mean, he had a few drop passes, but Travis Kelsey would once again add another 100-plus receiving yard game to his resume this season as he would have 10 receptions for 107 yards receiving. Juju Smith-Schuster looked really good in this game as well, making a lot of clutch catches to get first downs as he would have 10 receptions for 88 yards receiving. And it's looking pretty good and like he's kind of having a little bit of a career resurgence in Kansas City. And then on the flip side for the Tennessee Titans, you know, their defense was really solid in this game. I mean, they pretty much held Kansas City for the most part until the fourth quarter. I mean, they did not play bad whatsoever. I mean, a lot of credit needs to be given to this Tennessee Titan defense. Kevin Byard played really well. Uh, David Long played really well. Zach Cunningham, Danico Autry, Jeffrey Simmons, they all played really well in this game. They had four sacks on Patrick Mahomes this game, which is kind of unheard of, so... And then also the rookie Roger McCrary out of Auburn, he got a he got his I think it was his first career interception as well. So just really really good game by Tennessee's defense. I know they couldn't hold up in the uh, fourth quarter, which there were a lot of kind of iffy calls if you want to say. So it kind of left you like okay, what the heck? But offensively, Derrick Henry he dominated the Chiefs in the first half as he would have I think it was let me look real quick as he would have 17 carries for 115 yards rushing and two touchdowns in the first half alone. 
But obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs, they started game planning. A lot of credit to Spagnola for being able to properly defensive game plan and make a lot of adjustments in the second half because they limited Derrick Henry to, I think, less than like 20 rushing yards in the second half. And Malik Willis in that passing game of the Tennessee Titans has got to be one of the worst you will see because they only threw the football 16 times in this game and only completed it for five passes because Malik Willis on the day would go five for 16 80 yards, 80 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. He would get sacked three times, but overall, the offensive line of the Tennessee Titans was not bad. There were a lot of times where Malik Willis, and definitely you could tell a lot of rookie tendencies were coming out of him. He would hold onto the ball for too long, stay in the pocket for too long, and then ultimately that would that would pretty much be the reason why the Kansas City Chiefs would be able to get into the backfield and sack him for a huge loss. And we saw that on the final possession of the game in overtime because Malik Willis on fourth down tried to make too much trying to make too much happen and he would have a huge sack that would just end the game and well Kansas City they did survive this game I don't know what it is when the Chiefs play the Titans but they always struggle a little bit but they were able to escape with a win as the Chiefs they would beat the Tennessee Titans on Sunday night football 22-17 as the Chiefs they now improved to 6-2 and on the year and are pretty much I mean just way ahead in the AFC West which we thought was supposed to be a juggernaut of a division I mean the Broncos have been horrible the Chargers are very inconsistent I'm not gonna say horrible but they've been very inconsistent and then don't even get me started on the Las Vegas Raiders and how much of a flop and disappointment of a team that they have been this year so and then the Tennessee Titans you know they only get their third loss of the year which is kind of funny to think because they dropped their first two games of the year you know week one to the Giants and then week two in Buffalo on Monday Night Football in which they got just killed so I mean, I still think Malik Willis is a great quarterback. I mean, we all knew he was going to be one of those very much developmental quarterbacks. He's going to need time before he does truly show, you know, all the attributes and skill that we saw at Liberty. But, I mean, honestly, if you're a Tennessee Titans fan, you've got to be really happy with how your defense played. But the offense, you've got to be able to do more than just hand the ball off to Derrick Henry because if you expect it all to survive, especially in the AFC, and I know the division that the Titans are in in the AFC South is horrendous, and they'll probably end up winning it regardless, and they'll have a spot, they'll have a spot in the playoffs, but you've got to be able to game plan. You know, you can't just hand the ball off to Derrick Henry every time because defenses, they're going to game plan around that. You know, I know they love to do play action because obviously the fake to Derrick Henry is going to throw off the defense, but I mean, you've also got to look at potentially getting some wide receiver talent because nothing against Robert Woods or Traylon Burks, but both are very injury-prone players, and, you know, they're very inconsistent as well. So, But anyway, guys, the final game that we did have of Week 9 of the 2022 NFL season was on Monday Night Football down in the bayou in New Orleans as we had the Baltimore Ravens led by Lamar Jackson taking on the New Orleans Saints who are coming off a great, and I mean great, defensive win against the Las Vegas Raiders, in which they shut out the Raiders. So that was a huge win for that defense who had a ton of injuries already. You know, they didn't have Marcus Lattimore in this game, in that game. They wouldn't have Marcus Lattimore in this game. But overall, not a bad game for the Saints defense. And in this game, uh, well, it was Lamar. It was the, definitely the Lamar Jackson show and the Kenyon Drake show as well, as Lamar Jackson would go 12 for 22, 133 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions on the day which, you know, I didn't really have to throw the football that well if your run game was as good as it was for the Ravens. As Kenyon Drake, who's been a surprising pickup for the Ravens, I mean, if you watched him when he was with Miami or watched him when he was with Arizona or the Raiders, you knew how good of a running back that he was. And, well, in this game, Kenyon Drake would have 24 carries for 93 yards rushing and two touchdowns on the day. So if you had him in fantasy, 
you were definitely pleased as well, whether it was that flex or as your starting running back. And, you know, receiving-wise, there was not a lot going on. Isaiah Likely, who would have the lone passing touchdown of the game, the rookie out of Coastal Carolina, who continues to flourish under uh, Lamar Jackson in this offense. He had one reception for 24 yards receiving and one touchdown, obviously coming off of that one reception. So this game was not anything crazy offensively. I mean, the Ravens, they didn't dominate really that much offensively. Um, New Orleans, they had a ton of struggles in this game offensively. I mean, Andy Dalton, you know, definitely just, I don't know, for some reason did not look that great in this game. 19 for 29, 210 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception on the day. And, you know, Alvin Kamara, who really had a great bounce back game against the Las Vegas Raiders last week, wasn't able to get anything going this game, in this game, whether it was in receiving game or rushing game, because he would have only 30 yards receiving and rushing, as he would have 30 rushing yards on the day, on the day 32 rush, 32 receiving yards on the day. I'm so sorry, guys. I My brain is completely sp uh, splattered this morning. And, you know, Chris Olave, the rookie out of Ohio State, the first-round pick for the Saints in the 2022 NFL Draft, he looked really good in this game. Definitely showed a lot, and I mean, a lot of promise when it comes to just simply route running and being able to catch the ball as he would have six receptions for 71 yards receiving on the day. And, you know, the biggest thing for the Saints is they would suffer a lot more injuries in this game, too, as they would lose Marcus Davenport, their starting defensive tackle in this game. They would lose Pete Warner, who is one of their starting linebackers. I mean, the Saints got, I mean, the Saints are just continuing to get absolutely crushed by injuries. You know, they didn't have Mark Ingram in this game. They don't have Michael Thomas for the rest of the year. They didn't have Jarvis Landry in this game. He's currently dealing with an ankle injury. I mean, for the Saints right now, you're pretty much playing with your backups backup. But anyway, the Ravens, they would get a huge win on Monday Night Football as they would beat the Saints 27-13 to as a Ravens. They now improved to 6-3 and on the year and are currently atop the AFC North. And then for the Saints, they fall to 3-6. and I mean, they're not completely out of the uh, NFC and South, as we all know. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they currently are atop right now at 4-5. and five. So the Saints... They still potentially could be able to find a way, you know, whether it's a late season push when a lot of their guys come back from injuries. But, I mean, this New Orleans Saints team, they can't win two straight games. I mean, they, they'll, like last week, for example, they'll shut out the Raiders, but then, you know, another team will come into town or they'll play away, and then they just completely lose everything that they did the following, the previous week. So, but anyway, the Ravens, they wrap up uh, week nine with the W on Monday night football as once again the Ravens they're still a really good team I mean they have a lot of injuries themselves but I definitely think once they continue to get a lot more healthy you know they went out and got Roquan Smith who in his debut with the Ravens in this game let me check his stat line real quick um, did do anything crazy had five just five total tackles on the day didn't have a sack or tackle for loss but once again his presence is going to absolutely scare opposing offenses so I think that was a great pickup once again for the Baltimore Ravens as the Baltimore Ravens, they wrap up our week ten or week yeah week yeah week no week nine. I'm thinking of college football. They wrap up our week nine with the W on Monday Night Football against the New Orleans Saints. So guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. That's officially all of our action from week nine of the 2022 NFL season. And let me know what y'all's personal favorite game was. Mine had to have easily been the Titans and Chiefs on Sunday Night Football because I mean, just seeing how Kansas City Chiefs they are human. I mean. They, they definitely showed a lot of human characteristics in this game. You know, they're not the immortal team that they thought they were. But anyway, guys, thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. If you did like it or enjoyed it, please make sure to follow the Cover 7 podcast. Like, comment, share, rate. Do whatever you can to make sure that we continue to spread the Cover 7 podcast to everybody out there in the world. And also, too, if you are feeling a little bit generous, 
Uh, Anchor.fm has a monthly supporter program in which it costs $4.99 a month. It's like if you subscribe to your favorite Twitch streamer, YouTuber, you know, Netflix, whatever. It's just $4.99 a month, but it allows me financially to be able to help better the quality of the podcast, give you all some exclusive perks and giveaways, and just overall continue to just better the Cover 7 podcast for all you beautiful people. So, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's recap of NFL Week 9. And guys, also make sure to check out college football and NFL previews, which will come out tomorrow. NFL will be at week or NFL will be at 12 p.m. Central Time, and college football will be at 6 p.m. Central Time. So, guys, I'll see y'all back here tomorrow on Wednesday as we'll be previewing all of the action for college football Week 11 and NFL Week 10. So, guys, see you then, and once again, have an amazing rest of y'all's day. So, peace, y'all.